Are you thankful for Jesus? I think the Lord is speaking tonight. I did not confer with Penn or... Um, I don't remember your name. I believe it was Shelby, correct? Yeah, come on. Um, thank you. Uh, but the Lord put on my heart the, the woman, Mary, who broke the alabaster jar. He's... I'm telling you guys, he's leading us back into that place. You know this, right? What, what we just experienced was so sacred, was so beautiful, that anything that, become, that comes in between that place where we just experienced and with him, anything that comes in place of that and comes in between that must be cut out. It is so sacred. It is so beautiful. It is so wonderful. Do you guys ever Do you guys ever think about why she didn't just take the cap off the bottle and just pour it over Jesus? She broke it, right? And when she broke it, she made a statement saying that there's no going back. I'm not going to take it off and pour a little bit and put it back on. There's no more going back. I'm breaking it all. I'm giving it all. He can have everything. Amen? Amen. He's leading us back to that place. Wow. Well, um, my name's Danny. I, uh, I just want to honor a few people really quick. Penn, thank you for being a father in my life. Thank you. Um, there are few people who have made as great an impact as you have on, on my life and on Jalissa and I's life and our marriage. And so I want to honor you and thank you so much. Um, and uh, also, this is my wife over here, Jalissa. You can just wave. and um, Yeah, come on. Um, I'll share a little bit about what kind of a hero she is. Um, the Lord called us to move to Florida in uh, January of this year, just a few months ago. And... We, uh, <laughs> here's how it went down. Jalissa gave birth to an actual child, a living being. Uh, she gave birth, and one week later, uh, we moved our house down to Florida, and we traveled with a one-week-old down to Florida to follow the word of the Lord. And so I tell you, either we're crazy and she's nuts, or God is real and he speaks. Amen? Amen. He speaks. Amen. Come on. Wow. Um, I feel an urgency to get back into that place where we just were. And so thank you for leading us into the presence of the Lord. Uh, that was absolutely wonderful. Thank you. I feel an urgency to get back there. Uh, but there is a word from the Lord that I feel uh, is, is pertinent for tonight. Um, and I just want to read a few things that I've, I felt like the Lord has been speaking to me in prayer just in regarding uh, tonight, just in regarding of this week. Um, you know, Penn was, was, was speaking on that now is the acceptable time of the Lord. Now is the favorable time of the Lord. Thank you. Um, now is the day of salvation. And it sounds like such good news, like it's almost too good to be true, right? Like it's almost too good to be true. And I saw in prayer as, as we were speaking, and Grant had some of that too last night as well, and there was just life being spoken and life being spoken right straight from the heart of the Father into each one of us. But I saw 
in prayer as what, what was happening was that there were some who, who had their heads down and they were hearing this life being spoken, this almost too good to be true news that now is the favorable time, that his favor's not left and their heads were down and they heard it and it brought a, a momentary comfort, right? It brought a momentary, oh, okay, that, ooh, that feels really good. Thank you, Lord. But you see, the Lord, when he's speaking these types of things, he's not trying to just give us a momentary comfort. What he's trying to do is trigger a response in our heart that moves us from, what did you say? And it moves us to lock eyes with him. And so it's not just to where we receive this and we hear it and it's life-giving and we take it and we just keep going down on our road and keep going and all of a sudden we get a little bit tired, a little bit weary. We need another life-giving word spoken into us and then, ooh, momentary comfort, okay, and we keep going. And I tell you, all he's doing this week, tonight, whatever, he's speaking these things to trigger your heart to look up. Amen? He's leading us back to that place. Um, I believe I, re- I read the thing about Mary as well. Um, everything, everything is flowing together. The worship, when the Lord said, or well, the Lord said it through, I forget who it was, but his love, Shelby again, love language is worship, right? Why is his love language worship? It's because it's a shift of your eyes. It's a shift of your focus. Because when you're down, and you're looking, you need some life-giving word, right? But worship says, oh, I give you everything. I break the alabaster jar over you. I don't want anything left. Amen? Amen. Um, I also heard the Lord say, leave. Uh, let me preface this. Many of us come uh, to these wonderful events and we're seeking something specific, and there's nothing wrong with that. The Lord is okay with that. He's definitely okay with that. But I heard the Lord say, leave your list and bring your heart tonight. Leave your list and bring your heart. Watch what he'll do with your surrendered heart. Watch what you'll do with your heart open to every area. Watch what he'll do with it. So yes, he cares about your list. I promise he does. If you came seeking a specific word or deliverance or something, I tell you, it's found in locking your eyes with him. Amen? Amen. And one more thing the Lord showed me was, um, just in prayer regarding tonight, was uh, he loves when his children smile at him. I was at the fair two days ago with Ezra. Ezra's my three-year-old son, and, and he got on this rickety old carousel and You'd think that one more go around on this thing, it might fall apart. It was that type of deal. And, uh, but I tell you, to a three-year-old, it did not matter. And did this ever bring him joy? And I was watching him as he'd go around and he'd make the turn. And every time he would see me, his eyes would light up and he'd smile real big. And the Lord spoke immediately in that moment. And he said, Danny, I love when my children smile at me. Yes. So I'm telling you, it's, Whatever you came seeking tonight, it's going to be found in your surrendered heart to the Lord. You're going to find it. I tell you, the Lord has, you can almost feel it. He wants to encounter us so deeply, so deeply. So tonight, if you feel weary, there's a fresh encounter from the Lord that's available tonight. It's going to happen. I want to give you hope. 
I tell you, you lift your eyes, you open your heart, he's going to meet every single thing. Amen? Amen. Man, I got to get into the word. Um, uh, I, I want to show you a few things yet. Um, if you guys could throw up a couple of those pictures, I just want to show you guys of what's going on uh, around the world. This is, uh, so my wife and I, we went to this evangelism boot camp training in Orlando, Florida under CFAN, Daniel Kalenda, and we got trained for three months, and it was the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. Um, and at the end of the three months, we went on a three-week initiation trip to Tanzania. And so 94 evangelists, 94 who were preaching, went into Tanzania, and get this, guys, give a shout to the Lord. There was a total of 316,000 decisions for Christ in three weeks. In three weeks. I know what's going on in the news right now. We all see it. But I tell you, the Lord is moving mightily. We are living in Acts 2 type of stuff right now. I, I, if you average it out, remember they saw 3,000 saved on that one day. If you average it out to what we saw, 316 um, thousand divided by, uh, I believe it was three weeks, 21 days. It comes out to 14,000 per day that we're coming to the Lord. I'm telling you the harvest is ripe and it is ready. Amen. Amen. So anyways, this picture here, um, what we did was we would go into the market. I mean, this was, uh, this was as raw as it gets. We'd take a couple of these speakers here. We towed them up outside a market and <laughs> We would just preach the gospel for 30 minutes to anybody who would listen. There were many who did not, <laughs> but we just preached the gospel. We just, uh, and I tell you, um, when you say like 316,000, you think, wow, what? I mean, this must be some spectacular sermon or message. <laughs> it's so, it's repentance. It's turn. That's it. It's the gospel. There's nothing else that can change a human heart except for the gospel. That's it. And so... Um, what we did was we would preach the gospel for 30 minutes and then we would pray for the sick for 30 minutes. And I saw this little girl, I was the one praying for the sick this day, and I, I saw her um, before I went up to pray. And she had, uh, her arms were, um, were like this. Now she could move them out like this, but she did not have full range of motion. Same thing here, she, she would limp. So that's how she walked around. But I tell you, oh Jesus, when we prayed for the sick, Jesus touched her, and when she checked to see if she was healed, she goes out like this, and her arms go completely out. Her legs no more have a limp, and she started to run for the first time in years. Come on, I tell you, he's doing it. He's doing it. And as you can see, um, her mother, uh, who was a Muslim, was a Muslim, when she saw that her daughter was healed by the power of Jesus, she said, I must give my life to this man. What must I do to be saved? Amen? Come on, only Jesus. Amen. Now, this is not only happening in, happening in Africa. If you guys want to go to the, the next one, um, we'll see what we have over here. Um, so this one right here, actually, if you could skip to the next one and then go back to this one, that'd be great. So these are, is anybody here from... The background of Amish and Mennonites. Anybody? Praise the Lord. I'm telling you, listen. Now, you might laugh, but I'm going to tell you some incredible things that I truly believe deep down in my core. I mean, I truly believe it. Um, 
I truly believe that the Amish and the Mennonites are called to change the world. Why? Why do I believe that? The Lord started to show this to me. He said, Danny, they have every single thing in place for me to send them to preach the gospel. Why? They have the value for family, honor, humility. Some will even call false humility. Sure, okay, we can get there. But I'll tell you, they'll never steal the glory from God. They won't. And he's going to use it. And he's going to use it. Wealth and resources. We've got all the wealth and the resources. Oh, and the last one, work ethic and perseverance. Have you seen somebody raise a barn? Have you seen anybody do that? I'm telling you, they can change the world. And the Lord said, all they are missing is the flame of my spirit. Guys, they're radical already. They're already radical. They drive, we drive buggies. Can you imagine when this flips and we start to see the gospel? I had two older Amish guys come up to me. They were around 50 or 55 years old. And he said, I don't care what it is, I'm going where the Lord send me. If it's Africa, I'm going to Africa. If it's a mobile home somewhere out there, I'm going there. And I'm telling you, there's more than just those two. I'm serious, we're called to change the world. When I say we, I'm talking about the Amish and Mennonites. If you're not from the Amish and Mennonites, trust me, you're still called to change the world, amen. <laughs> Amen. Come on. You still got life-giving resurrection power inside of you, right? Come on. Uh, but anyways, this was two weekends ago. This is about 70 Amish giving their lives to the Lord. 70. Look at this. Every single one raising their hands, giving their life to the Lord. Is this not incredible? We are living in the greatest days of harvest we have ever seen. Can you go back two pictures so this guy right here, um, he came up for the salvation prayer, the one that's kneeling down, the Amish man kneeling down. He came up for, uh, I believe, for the salvation prayer. And he, when he knelt down, he said his knee hurt so bad. But after he finished praying, he said everything shifted in his knee. He got up and there was no more pain. And so he came up and told me that. And immediately someone else came up who said, I do have knee pain really bad. And I said, oh, great. This guy just got healed. So he lays his hands on him and he prays. And we just put our hands on him. And I tell you, there was heat all over the place. And the guy goes, all the pain's gone. He said, amen, you're healed. Come on. There were, there were Amish women who came up and said, I was delivered during the message. I'm telling you, we are going to start seeing some of the most incredible things from the most unlikely places. God will use what the world calls foolish to shame the wise. Amen? I'm really excited, are you? Come on. Okay. I've not preached yet. I'm sorry. I'm trying to get there. Um, all right, so thanks for putting those up. You guys don't have to put those on anymore. Thank you so much. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn. Uh, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 25. Like I said, um, I'm starting to feel an urgency to get back into that sacred place that we were. But I'm praying that the Lord will demolish anything that will keep us from this place. Um, and so here we go. Uh, 
the crux of all of our Christianity that we believe in, if anybody would ask you, you know, what's the most important verse in the Bible? And I don't know if there's most important verses, but there's usually a few that stick out. Usually the one that sticks out for me is John chapter three, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? We've, we've grown up with that and that's been like ingrained in us. And I want to tell you, my life shifted when I saw what eternal life was. Because if Jesus came down for the sole purpose of eternal life, then I need to know what is eternal life. And my entire being inside of me always thought eternal life is just going to heaven someday or going to hell someday. It's going to be living forever. And I tell you, Jesus is so good. He actually gave the answer to what eternal life is. And this is found in John chapter 17, verse 3. He says in here, he's praying to the Father. You guys know the, the priestly prayer. Before he's about to be delivered up to the cross, he prays to the Father. And he says, this is eternal life. He's about to give us the answer. This is pretty important because if we would say that all of what we believe hinges on eternal life, then what really is this eternal life? And he said, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now that threw me for a major loop because he did not say that, for this is eternal life, that you will live forever in heaven. He didn't say that. He didn't say that you'll, you'll live forever, if, you're, if you do not believe in him, you'll live forever in hell. He didn't say that. Eternal life is knowing him. And my friends, that word know is very important because I can factually know somebody. Like I know Jesse, like I, I know him decently well, but I tell you, I've not hung out with him a whole lot. We're acquaintances, I'd say we're even friends, you know, but, I'm not, but we've not really been together, right? But I'll tell you, my wife and I, we have walked through everything together the past seven years. And that word know it means to experience by first-hand acquaintance. It's to experience, right? And so uh, my wife can say, I can tell my wife, I love you all I want. I can tell her, I love you, oh, I love you so much. But if I never hold her hand, or if I never hug her, or show her affection, and I never experience her, she's gonna start to wonder, how much do you actually love me? Because at this point, it's only just words. And so when I saw this, I thought, oh my word, eternal life is actually experiencing Jesus? Experiencing God? That I can walk hand in hand with the God of all heaven? That his spirit can live inside of me and bear witness that my spirit is alive and his spirit lives in me? How is that actually possible? I don't know, but it is. And he's called us to walk with him. Are you with me? Does this eternal life make sense at all? Are you guys seeing this? Okay, because this is a game changer. So eternal life is knowing him. It's personal, it's beautiful, it's, it's very, very close. It's experiencing him. So here we go into Matthew chapter 25. I'm gonna try and get through this really quickly. In Matthew chapter 24, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him a question. They say, they say, Master, what are going to be the signs of the end of the age? And Jesus is a, he's a great, 
He's a wonderful savior. He doesn't leave us hanging. If we ask him a question, he will answer. And he goes on to this incredible discourse that covers, I think, at least two chapters, Matthew 24 and 25, of going on about the signs of the end of the age. And the first thing that came out of his mouth was, do not be deceived. First thing he said, do not be deceived. Why was that so important to Jesus? Because he knew that in the end, the end of the age, there would be deception rising up like none other, where we would even call things that we think are good are not of God. Are you with me? And so he said, do not be deceived. How are we not deceived? Are we not deceived by keeping our eyes out for deception? No. We're not deceived by, this is how we're not deceived. We walk hand in hand with Jesus. Jesus, We hear his voice and know it and obey it. And as we walk along and we see deception coming towards us, we look at deception and we look at Jesus, look at deception. That's not Jesus. So get out, right? And we keep going. So deception's not this crazy thing that you have to just, you're not, we're not deception hunters. Are you with me? We know Jesus and he exposes deception, amen? Later on, he goes down and he says, because lawlessness will be increased, sin, because sin will be increased, the love of many, guys, this is almost terrifying to me, the love of many will grow cold. And so why is this, sac- why was what we experienced up here so sacred? It's because when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice saying, here I am, I break everything, I give you everything, I worship you, it's so sacred because we need to keep our love burning hot, amen? It needs to be burning hot. And Jesus said, because of all this sin, many will grow cold. So we need to guard against growing cold in our hearts. So I just wanted to preface that before we go into Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is still talking about the end of the age and what's going to happen and um, things that will take place and signs that you can look for. And a parable, he speaks a parable here about the ten virgins. And a parable is wonderful because it often acts as a mirror. You can see where you fit in in a parable. You can usually kind of pick it out, right? And so that's what we want to do tonight. We want to read through Matthew 25, 1 through 13. And we want the Lord to speak to us afresh. So here we go. Matthew chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. 
And while they were going away to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, and here's John 17, verse three. I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So the reason we wanted to go into John 17, three is because of what Jesus says here at the end. Eternal life is knowing him. And he said, at the last minute, five were turned away because they did not know him. Let's look into this verse here, or into this passage. Um, the only difference between the wise and the foolish was that there was extra flasks of oil for the wise. They came and brought extra flasks. But you see, all 10 were expecting to meet the bridegroom. And so since all 10 were expecting to meet the bridegroom, if you would have asked them, are you going to meet the bridegroom? Every single one of them would have said yes. Which means this is not a parable for the world. This means this is a parable for the church. Are you with me? This is a parable for the church. And it was, all 10 were expecting to meet him. And also all 10 fell asleep. And there were two stages of this sleeping. The first, it says they became drowsy and then they slept. So there's two stages. The first was that they became drowsy. Um, I, I know some of you have an easy chair where you become drowsy on, right? That's the one where you sit on, you just relax just a little bit, and you start what's called the nod. And you just and you nod, right? Right? Has anybody ever experienced that? I do that often. Um, I was doing that on the plane uh, two days ago. You got a little bit of you know, stuff coming down your mouth. Um, but uh, there's two stages to it. There's a drowsiness, and then there's a conscious decision to set aside the lamp and sit down and sleep. Because, my friends, they didn't, um, they didn't hold their lamps. You have to picture this. They didn't hold their lamps, stand firm, waiting for the bridegroom, and then fall asleep right like this. That would have been pretty dangerous. What they had to do was they had to make a conscious decision to take their lamp and to set it aside and sit down and rest a little bit. And drowsiness came in, and then they slept. Are you following me? Do you guys see this picture? So this drowsiness came in, but there came something that awoke them. Something came to awake them, and it was the cry of someone that said, behold, the bridegroom cometh, come out to meet him. And if you've ever been sleeping or in that state of drowsiness or sleep and somebody shouts, it's not the most pleasant thing, right? <laughs> it's not very pleasant. Um, Janet, has Lamar ever done that to you? Probably not. You guys love each other too much. Um, <laughs> But you guys know what I'm talking about. There's a shout and it jolts you out of your sleep and you're like, dude, I was just sleeping. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, like, wh what's going on, man? And um, the cry went out that the bridegroom is coming. And so it took something drastic. It took something sharp for them to say, oh my goodness, okay, the bridegroom's coming. And immediately as they heard the word, they started to get ready. 
and they started to trim their lamps and all 10 trimmed their lamps and got ready to go. But there was a problem with the foolish. With the foolish, they said to the wise, give us some of your oil. And this is very sad. For our lamps are going out. It was not that their lamps were never lit. They had the confession of faith. They had the, um, the lamp that says, that confesses and says, yeah, I'm going to meet him. They all had the lamp and it was lit at one point, but it says it was going out. And my friends, I'm seeing this because the lawlessness that is being increased, the love of many is growing cold. And so what we must guard against is this beginning stage of spiritual decay where we feel a numbness on our heart. Are you with me? There's, whenever there's a numbness on our heart, we must immediately be, oh my goodness, we need a shout that says, wake up. We cannot have, wake up. We need oil. And so I want to see, <laughs> I want you guys to see as they went away to get their own oil was when the bridegroom came. And that's when the door was shut. And I want you to see how they addressed Jesus. They didn't call him sir. They didn't call him whatever you want to say. They addressed him by Lord. They said, Lord, Lord, open to us. And so to even see how they addressed him was they were totally expecting to be with the bridegroom. Yet when the call came out, they saw their bankruptcy of no oil. There was no oil. And so my friends, when we look at this parable, immediately you're thinking, yeah, I for sure do not want to be the foolish virgin. Is anybody with me on this one? We do not want to be the foolish virgin. And I began to seek the Lord on this because this is a heavy matter, right? This, is, this feels heavy. And the Lord began to show me these scripture verses. You, you know, oil oftentimes represents um, anointing or grace or the spirit. Um, it, it represents those things. And so in here, the Lord showed me Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. And it goes down to, I believe it's verse 31. But he says, he says this, he says something very, very um, jarring, very jarring. He says, for if you go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, we're talking about deliberate sin, okay? I want to make a clear distinction, deliberate sin. I'm not talking about when a righteous man falls. I remember hearing that. Righteous man falls seven times, he gets up again. Grace says, I'm getting back up, right? Grace is the, is, is the amazing force of God to say, come on back up, we're going to keep going, amen? I want to make a distinction just so you know, this is not... This is not where you fall and, and, G, and the grace of God comes to pick you back up and you keep running. This is deliberate sin. Deliberate means you're living in it. You're living in it. It means if you fall and you start to sit in your sin, you feel the grace of God wanting to pull you back up and you say, you know what, this actually, to sit here in my sin actually feels better than getting back up again, and you live there. Are you with me on this? You guys okay? I, I want to make that distinction. But he says, for if we go on sinning deliberately, this one says willfully, 
after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and fury. It may feel heavy, but my friends, we need a shout. And it goes on to say, the key to this verse, it goes on to say that you profane the blood of the covenant by deliberately sinning, by deliberate sin and remaining in it. You profane the blood of the covenant and it says you outrage the spirit of grace. My friends, outraging the spirit of grace is not a place any of us want to go. I think we can all agree with that, amen? And so that's the foolish virgin. And I want to tell you, if you feel any of the numbness at all or the callousness of a, of a hardened heart, let that be your warning sign that says, I don't know what it is, but I got to talk to somebody. I got to go to the Lord. I don't know what it is, but I cannot stay here in this numbness and in this callousness. Amen? Amen. So we, we see this and we think, okay, for sure do not want to be the foolish virgin. Don't want to be that one. How about the wise virgin? So when you look at it to begin with, it seems like the wise virgin um, did everything as ought to be. But here's what actually happened with the wise virgin. They too were at fault. You see, they carried extra oil with them and they were walking with the foolish ones. They were walking alongside of them. And if they had been awake, if they would have been jarred out of their, their drowsiness and their sleeping, you know what they could have done? They could have went over to him and said, dude, wake up. You don't have any oil. Go get oil before he comes back. We are sitting here waiting for the bridegroom, looking for the bridegroom, and you have no oil. Wake up. Wake up. Are you guys with me? And you see, there's, there was this mandate that the Lord gave in Mark chapter 13. And at the end of the chapter, he says, he says he's, he's speaking about the end of the age as well. And I want to go there just really quick so I don't blow it. And what I say to you, this is in regards to no one knows the day or the hour. He says, and what I say to you, talking to the disciples, I say to all to all who will listen, to all who will hear this, he says two words, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. Why? Because they, their eyes, you, you see guys, these wise virgins, they lifted their eyes onto something else other than the bridegroom. They became content with what they could find in front of them rather than looking out and finding the bridegroom, keeping their eyes, their focus, their vision, their affection, their attention on the bridegroom that was coming. And I started to meditate on this and I started to ask the Lord because this started to, guys, can I be real honest with you? This started to terrify me because I started to see, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why it jarred me awake. The reason it jarred me awake was an encounter I actually had with the Lord in February. In February, I had an encounter with the fear of the Lord and the holiness of the Lord. 
And it was the most terrifying and terrible and awesome thing that I have ever encountered in my life, and I don't know how to describe it. But early on in this encounter, this was in, if you can just picture this, this was in a room full of 94 evangelists, and the fear of the Lord literally drops on the room. And every single soul is on the floor weeping and travailing. I was wailing so hard, I thought my insides were going to burst. It hurts so bad. I, I, I don't know what it was, but here's what I saw in this encounter. Right in the beginning, the Lord said, can I trust you with this? And I knew exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about my calling and what I was called to do. And you see, in this encounter, after he asked me this, I saw what was happening. I saw that I was, I was over here and I was building this tower. And I knew that this tower represented ministry. And I knew, I have known for years that I've been called to ministry, that I've been called to full time to do this, to preach the gospel. I knew that. And I saw as I was building this ministry, this tower, the eyes of the Lord were on me. But something happened. There came a point in building this tower where I forsook knowing him. And I went into autopilot mode of running a ministry and preaching the gospel and this and that. And all of a sudden, as I saw myself forsaking knowing him, the eyes of the Lord that were pierced on me began to move away. And at that point, I thought I was going to die. I felt a separation. I mean, guys, this is the most tiniest of experiences of eternal separation from the Lord that there ever will be. And I experienced just this much of it. And I tell you, my friends, not one of us were created to be separated from the Lord. He desires that all come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and that all come to him and know him as father. Are you with me? But I experienced this. And what I experienced was Matthew chapter 7, I believe it's 21 through 23, where he says, where he's talking to the ones who did the ministry. They said, Lord, Lord, the same title that the virgins, the five foolish virgins used. He said, Lord, Lord, did we not? And they start to list their stuff. Cast out demons. Prophesy. Boy, that sounds spiritual, doesn't it? Sounds like you know what you're doing if you're doing that stuff. And he goes on to list, you can put whatever you want in there. Did I not attend church as faithfully as I ever could? Did I not lead this Bible study? Did I not do all these things? And at the end is one of the most terrifying words again where he says, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. And I saw what could happen in this encounter. I saw what could happen if I forsook this sacred place of being with him and knowing him and having something come in between that relationship. I felt a minuscule part of it. And it jarred me awake at that point. That was the voice that cried out and said, wake up. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Because can I just tell you just a little bit, just being honest and personal at my life at that point, I was a, the wise virgin, 100%. Why? I know this because I had oil. I had a relationship with the Lord. If you're in here, I need to make this clear. If you're in here and you have a relationship with the Lord, where I mean you have a relationship with the Lord, 
I'm telling you, you are not lost if you have a relationship with the Lord. I need to make that clear. But I saw, um, <laughs> I, I saw, Jesus help me. I totally forgot where I was. You guys got me? Where was I at? What did I see? Wow. Well, Jesus, I had oil. Thank you. I had oil. That was the point. I had oil. And so, listen, if you've got oil, if you've got a relationship with the Lord, it's not, listen, you're not trying to fear for damnation, okay? I just need to make that clear. And I had the oil. I had a relationship with the Lord. But there was a shift happening in what, was, what I was doing. I started to become more focused on my calling and on my ministry and on my own destiny than I ever was with locking eyes with the one who already gave it to me. There was a shift starting to happen. And if there was not a cry that said, wake up, there's something way more important than this right here. And it's looking at me. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you all that stuff. I'll give it to you. I love to give my children gifts, but look at me. Look at me. That's where I was. And so I started to meditate on this wise virgin and I started to ask the Lord, why, what, how in the world did they fall asleep? What came in between them watching and waiting and looking for the bridegroom? What came in between that? And he started to name some things. And if you can imagine these five wise virgins they're all five different people, right? And I started to imagine how they each had their own different thing. You know, the five foolish, they were all lost. That's, that's what they were. They were in church. They were doing the, doing the stuff, but they were deliberately living in sin, had no relationship with the Lord. But the wise, they had, there was five different ones. And the Lord started to, to speak to me about what some of these were. And he said, number one was busyness. They were so busy that they didn't even notice the foolish had no extra oil. They were too busy to care. Because friends, when they left their homes together, they met up. They walked together out to the meeting place. And as they were walking, they didn't even notice that they didn't have extra oil as they carried some with them. They were too busy. And the second one was apathy. Which means the definition of apathy is showing or feeling no interest, enthusiasm, or concern. It just means you just kind of go on with life. You just kind of do whatever, you know, just keep on going. And you really show no feeling or interest or concern. And the third virgin was this one. The third virgin was worrisome. And I tell you, well, if you're worried, why would you take a nap? Well, I tell you what, when I was in college and I had papers to write and I knew they were due and I had duties to follow up with, I had stuff to do, buddy, you know what I did. I'd go straight back to my dorm room, fall asleep. Maybe it'll be gone when I wake up. <laughs> Maybe it'll be gone. It never was. It was always there. Still had to write the papers, right? But worrisome. It's a type of escapism. It's, it's, it's trying to escape from duties, and, and even duties, we can skew that word, we can make it legalistic all we want, whatever, but it was trying to, I was trying to escape my, du my duties and just fall asleep. The fourth and the fifth one 
are where the Lord spoke to me and said, this was you. These two were me. The fourth one was boredom. Here's what boredom is in your relationship with the Lord. It's a loss of fascination with Jesus. Where that name doesn't mean as much as what it used to. Where the cross and the blood and and everything that was provided for and done, it's where it doesn't mean as much anymore. And I became bored. I became bored with my relationship with the Lord. And I tell you tonight, if you are at this stage tonight where you feel a boredom with the Lord, I'm telling you, there's a shout that's saying, wake up. There's a fresh encounter. All you must do is look up at the one who saves and lock eyes with him. Amen? The last one was complacency. Remember, these last two were me, boredom and complacency. This complacency, and this pains me to even say this, but this complacency manifested itself in the attitude of I've arrived. I've made it. Here's why I say that. This is what I was basing it on. I said, well, I speak in tongues. I prophesy. And I've had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I've arrived. That's it. My friends, there is a God who is an endless ocean of encounter. And we have been satisfied. I, I won't even say we, maybe there are many here who have been, but I was satisfied for a drip and stayed satisfied with that one drip and thought, I'm fine, I don't need to thirst anymore. When standing in front of me is the ocean of God's goodness, the ocean of God's grace, the ocean of encounter, where I can go through any encounter. I tell you, you can encounter the fear of the Lord. You can encounter the love of the Lord, the grace of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord. How many more attributes of God do we have? Keep going. And then you can go in levels. How severe, how intense it was to this. To, it's endless. And I became complacent and said, I've arrived because I speak in tongues and I prophesy and I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I did not see how arrogant my attitude was. And it also manifested itself in this. It'd be nice, but I can do without. That even pains me to say it. It'd be nice, but I can do without. So this wise virgin, I want to tell you, they had oil. They had relationship. They had oil. They had relationship. Guys, they were saved. They were going to heaven. But they were asleep along with the foolish. And if they had been awake, they could have jarred the other ones awake and said, you don't have any oil. You don't have any oil. And so now we look at... (laughs) We look at this parable and we think, well, if this is acting like a mirror, I don't want to be the foolish virgin. I know that for sure. And I don't want to be the wise virgin either now. So what do I want to be? I tell you, there was one who cried out. There was one who was watching for the bridegroom. There was one who had his eyes locked on the Savior, watching every move, knowing exactly. I'd say I would gander to even say that maybe it was a girl and maybe her name was Mary. 
who broke the alabaster flask and said, I'll give it all. I'll see you. I'll watch you. I'll do anything to lock eyes with you. There was nothing that came in between this sacred place of knowing him, of locking eyes with him and being with him. Are you alive out there? Come on. Do you want to be a burning one? Do you want to be one who cries out and shouts out and says, wake up? Not in a condemning manner, but oh, there's so much more. Come on, let's go run. Amen? I'm telling you, it's available. There was one who cried out. There was one. And it will never fail. That one is always in the minority. That one will always be looked down upon and said, just let it go already. Sometimes they just get so excited and they just have to talk about Jesus. Just let it go already. I can't. I can't. I have seen the one whom my soul loves and I'll never let it go. You want to be that burning one, yes? You want to be him. Guys, my question to you today is, have you set down your lamp for a pillow? Are you in love with the bridegroom? Because I tell you, when you're in love with the bridegroom, your eyes follow him. And it's actually even the other way around. When you lock eyes with him and when you follow him with your eyes, love follows. As I was preparing over this a few weeks ago, the Lord just dropped this in me and and it felt so heavy because it almost feels like a super heavy word, doesn't it? I'm talking about sin, right? I'm talking about sin. And if you, my friends, if you are, If you have identified yourself as the foolish virgin that has said, I am deliberately living in sin, I tell you, don't be condemned. You may be condemned now, but tonight's your night. And tonight, you're going to turn away from that. You're going to turn to the Father. Everything's going to be forgiven. He's going to wash you, fill you with his spirit. And I'm telling you, your greatest days are ahead of you if you're the foolish virgin. But as I was preparing for this, the Lord dropped this on me. And he said this, he said, Danny... The cry of the end times church will not be rescue me, for he has already done that. The cry of the end times church will be marry me. If you do not love him now, do not be deceived into thinking that you will love him on that day. 